Take these, these items up to the Lord. Father, we come before you and we thank you for loving us. We thank you for calling us to yourself, for desiring a relationship with us. And it's because of your love for us, for no other reason, but your love that you have for us. Father, we thank you for that. Father, this morning I want to pray for Chet Haney and his wife Terry and their family. Pray for Holland Terrace Baptist Church as Chet is again in the hospital in ICU. Um, the last report I had yesterday was that they had found a mass in his lungs. Father, you know the circumstances better than we do, even better than the medical team knows. And Father, we pray this morning for your divine touch. We pray for your healing for Pastor Chet, that you would eradicate the cancer cells throughout his system, that you would cause the doctors to scratch their heads and wonder what just happened. Father, we know that you have that power, you have that ability. We also know, Father, that you can heal him through medical science. Father, you could also have a plan to take him home, to heal him completely there. So, Father, whatever your plan is in Chet's life, I pray that you would comfort Chet, that you would give him ease so that he would not be in pain or discomfort. Father, I pray for Terry, that you would guard her heart and her thoughts in Christ Jesus as she trusts you in this, there's another way to say it, horrible situation that Chet finds himself in. And as she's watching her husband go through a difficult time, Father, I pray that you would comfort her. Father, I pray for the people at Highland Terrace Baptist Church that you would undergird them and strengthen them and help them step forward in their trust and love of you. Father, we also pray this morning for the man that you already have in mind in store to be our new teaching pastor. Father, we long for that. We long for this next chapter in the life of Cross Point Fellowship. And Father, and we trust you in that. So Father, I pray that you would bless that man and his wife and family today as he stands to deliver in his current fellowship. Father, I pray for that fellowship. When we do call someone, he's going to be coming here and leaving another fellowship. Father, they need your guidance. They need your support in that. Father, I also want to lift up the people in Kazakhstan again this week. For our friends that are in Astana and their house church, that are going through a very difficult time of a shortage of supplies. Um, there's, there's a shortage of food. Father, that's it's really hard to imagine as much money as that country has, but it's in the hands of very few people. So, Father, I pray for the, the people of Kazakhstan that you would use this turmoil to turn their eyes to you, to turn their hearts toward you, and that they would find comfort in that relationship with you and in Jesus as their Savior. Father, I pray that you use that in that way. 
Father, then also pray for our time this morning as we continue in this study, the book of 1 John. Holy Spirit, lead us into the truth of the word. Help us apply it to our lives. Help it change our lives. Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Now, we're again in 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be reading the first four verses in just a few minutes. Uh, So go ahead and start turning there. And the title of the sermon this morning is that our joy may be complete. That is a statement that John made. That's a statement you'll see later in the morning. That's a statement that Jesus made. So that our joy be complete is a desire that God has for us in our lives. So we're going to, we're going to see how exactly that works out and plays out in our lives. So if you can, let me ask you to, be, to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be reading 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy will be complete. This is the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Now, John mentions these things in verse 4. But what are the things that he's talking about? What is he referencing? When we go back and look in the the three verses before that, we see what those things are. He gives evidence that he presents. Okay, let me redo that. He presents evidence of what these things are. And it's testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ is God. That he is our only hope. He is our salvation. He is our only peace. He says that they have heard. They heard Jesus' teachings. When he's talking about us, he's talking about the apostles. Okay. They have heard, they have seen with their eyes. They actually laid eyes on Jesus. They looked upon. They saw the miracles that Jesus performed. Time and time and time again. And they touched him with their hands. Try to imagine what that would be like. To actually lay your hands on the Messiah. Now, if, if, if you've known me for very long, probably more than five minutes, you know I'm a hugger. <laughs> you know. And as I, was, as I was reading this and thinking about this this week, I thought, what would have been like? What would have been like to walk up and just give Jesus a big old bear hug? Man, 
I want to love that. Okay. The apostles did that. They touched him. And he's proclaiming to us the eternal life through Jesus. Again, in 1 John 1, 4, it says, We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That's the, the, that's the those things. We are writing these things. The fact that they saw, they heard, they touched. They walked with Jesus. And they give testimony to that. And he said, we are writing these things so that our joy. Now the word our there is not just referring to the apostles. He's referring to all of us. It's our joy. So that our joy collectively will be complete. Now, I learned a long time ago, sometimes in order to understand what something is, we need to also understand, maybe in the beginning, what it's not. So that's where I'm going to go first this morning. We're going to talk about what joy is not. Then we're going to get to what it actually is. The key word in this passage is joy. But a lot of people, and even I think probably the world, equates joy and happiness as exactly the same thing. But it's not. Joy is not happiness. Now, every one of us here enjoy happiness. Okay? We like to be happy. Okay? Happiness is an emotion. It's one of the many emotions that God created in us. And it's something that he wants us to have pleasure in. That's not what he's talking about here. That's not joy. Happiness is that emotion and it takes place in your life because of events outside of your life or outside of you. For example, meeting God's best for you, young people, and single people here, meeting God's best for you, and then getting married. Man, that's happiness. You know, God's best for me is sitting right over here, to the left in the multicolored. You know, if you don't know Kendra, that's Kendra. You know. She's God's best for me. That makes me happy. We had two children. When they were born, we were happy. Changed every once in a while. <laughs> we still had joy with them, but we weren't always happy with them. I mean, that's part of it. So happiness comes and goes, and that's the key. You can get up in the morning and be really happy, and then as you're going toward the coffee maker or whatever it is you do first thing in the morning, and you catch your little toe on the leg of the coffee table, and it bends out, you're not happy anymore. See, happiness goes away that quickly. We're happy when we see our children accept Jesus as the Lord. It makes us happy. It brings us joy also, but it makes us happy. We're focusing on happy right now. And then our, our adult young children get married, and we have two absolutely wonderful daughters-in-law. 
And then the pinnacle of that in this life is having grandchildren. Okay. The grand part of having grandchildren, you've probably heard this before, is you get to take, take care of them, you get to keep them, spoil them, and send them home. <laughs> Sometimes. Okay. That's happiness. Those things outside bring happiness. Now, even though these things are wonderful, they're not lasting. Okay, I'm not going to mention the toe thing again because I saw some grimaces. Some people have experienced that. Okay. But new, new circumstances in our life take precedent at times. I dare say that Chad and his family and their spiritual family at Holland Terrace are not happy this morning. Okay. Circumstances that Chad's going through in ICU just out, outweighs and covers that happiness. It just The happiness just goes away. Joy. Joy is a completely different item. As I was looking for definitions, you know, because joy is almost one, of, it's, it's kind of one of those words where you can talk about it, you know what you think about it, but how do you define it? And it, we, we kind of get tongue-tied a little bit and we don't know exactly what to say. So I started looking, and I found the first thing that popped up was a definition of joy that comes from a website called Psychologies out of England. And here's their definition of joy. And spoiler alert, this isn't right. So don't think I'm saying this is what it is. But this is what the world says it is. Joy and happiness are wonderful feelings to experience, but they're very different. Joy is more consistent and is cultivated internally. It comes when you make peace with who you are, why you are, and how you are. Whereas happiness tends to be externally triggered and is based on other people, things, places, thoughts, and events. Then the author goes on and gives us a three-step process by which we can build joy in our lives. Quiet your mind. Calm down. Quiet your mind. Cut down on social media. That's their number two. And then number three, keep a journal and practice gratitude for the things that bring you joy. No. <laughs> there seems to be something very much missing, something very wrong in that definition in fact, that definition focuses still on everything about self. It's all about who I am, why I am, and what I can do to find that joy. It's all about self, self-desire, self-centeredness. That, dear people, is not joy. So what's the biblical definition of joy? I found this one. The biblical definition of joy says that joy is a sense of good pleasure that is absolutely dependent on who Jesus is rather than on who we are or what is happening around us. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit, abiding in Christ's presence and from hope in his word. That's about as close as we can get. 
But we're going to detail that a little bit more this morning. Now, biblical joy can be a confusing thing. Because I said earlier, joy is not happiness. Happiness comes and goes that quickly. Joy doesn't. If we are focusing on what we're supposed to be focusing on, joy is a lasting experience in who we are in Christ Jesus. Biblical joy is accessible to us even in the worst of times. Now I mentioned again, Chet, Terry, their family, Holland Terrace Baptist Church, they're not happy this morning, but guess what? They have joy. I've gotten to know Chet a little bit. There's some here in the congregation that know Chet even more. But I think I could, I could say honestly that even as he's laying in the ICU and if he's on a ventilator or however he's hooked up, Chet has joy because of who Jesus is in his life. Is he happy about his circumstance? I doubt it. But he has joy. So you can't be happy and sad at the same time. It's not possible. But you can have joy and be sad at the same time. That's the difference between what the world calls joy and what God calls joy. David spoke of this joy in his song of thanks to God in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 27. He says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. We see another passage in Nehemiah. When Nehemiah was going back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, the people that went in, one of those people was Ezra, and he found the book of the law. They rejoiced over that, and they set aside a day to read the book of the law. Nehemiah called this to be a holy day. And in Nehemiah 8.10, God's word says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We've just recently completed our celebration of Advent. And the candle's burning up front. And no, the, the heat's not, not overwhelming yet, but we're getting more candles, and I love them up here, so they're just great. But we completed our celebration of Advent, and we heard these next several verses more than once. And they all speak of joy based on something new. And that something new is Jesus. Luke 2.10 The angels said to them, the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. It was proclaimed by the angels. And then in Jesus' own words, he was speaking to his disciples in the upper room the night that he was going to be arrested. Part of his teaching, he speaks of being the true vine. And he tells them of the joy that he desires for 
them and for us, for his disciples. In John 15, verses 9 through 11, it says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That's the desire that Jesus has for us in our life. To have our joy made full in him. And this is exactly what John is speaking about in our focal passage, 1 John 1, 4. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete or full. Now, how can we even begin to build joy in our lives. It is clear through John's writings that what the apostles said in the first century and what John wrote in 1 John 1 4 was so that our joy would be complete or full as he quoted Jesus. Now, before I get to the answer to our joy, we need to ask this question and answer it. Why don't we already have joy? We've seen that it's God's desire for us to have that joy. He wants that for us. So why don't we have it? Well, it goes back to our fallen condition because of original, original sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When they sinned, God removed them from that perfect environment and there was a separation between God and mankind. And with that separation came the loss of our joy. Because that separation meant that there was no relationship with God. In Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every little thing that moves on the earth. And we see in Scripture that God even walked with them in the garden. Now, we cannot even possibly imagine what that was like. But it's revealed in Scripture in this way in Genesis 3. Verse 8, the first part of that verse. And they, that is Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They had that relationship. They had that fellowship with the Father because there was no sin yet. Then there was sin. In Genesis 3, 23 and 24, God enacted the consequences of their sin. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, due to this fall, their complete joy was lost and replaced by the hard work that they had to do. And even the separation. And cannot... 
Cannot you imagine in their every step of their life, for the rest of their life, they longed for that perfection in the Garden of Eden. They wanted to return to that perfect relationship. But they could not. God had a plan, but it wasn't right then. Now we try to find, or we do find, the truth of our joy. And I would challenge you to consider three things to find this fullness of joy. This is the answer to what we're looking for. How can our joy be complete, be made full? You're about to hear three points. The fullness of joy comes from a growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you've been in in church very long, you've probably heard that. Okay, we're going we're gonna to break that down into more. I want to read again 1 John 1 through 4, and I want you to listen for a key word. It's actually repeated twice in verse 3, but I want to read this passage. That which was from the beginning, speaking of Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our, live, our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, I emphasize the two words. You hopefully picked that up. Our fullness of joy comes out of fellowship with God. That fullness of joy comes from fellowship, first of all, with the Father. And in saying that, it's evident that we must truly understand what fellowship means. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17 and 18 says, Therefore, go out from their midst, talking about the things of the world, and be separate from, separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Here God commands us to be separate from the things of the world. We live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. We're not to do the same things that the world does. We shouldn't desire the same things that the world desires. When we do that, it says He will draw us to Him. And He will be a father to us. You will be sons and daughters to Him. That's the picture of fellowship. Being close to the Father. Fellowship is much more than an occasional Sunday morning. It's certainly much more than just an Easter Sunday morning. While people may be here just that one Sunday, guess what? They get to hear the gospel, which is a wonderful thing. But if that's all they have, there's no fellowship. That doesn't speak of fellowship. Even if you come every Sunday morning from 10.30 to 12 here and sit, maybe you've got your favorite seat that you sit in, And if that's all there is, 
if there's no change in you, if there's no walk in you away from this place in that hour and a half, if you just go back to a worldly existence after 12 o'clock on Sunday mornings, then there's something very real missing. There's no fellowship in that. If it's just this time in the morning, then you go back to the, to the world. That's what has been referred to from this pulpit numerous times over the years as getting your church on. It's having your fire insurance signed and your escape from hell. That's not fellowship. Fellowship is ongoing. It's not just a one and done deal. It's a lifestyle. It's what we do. According to Jesus, he taught his disciples that fellowship involves a lifestyle change. Moving from being fishers of fish to being fishers of men. Moving from being a tax collector to ministering to those around them in order to bring honor and glory to, to God the Father. Now you've probably heard this before if you've grown up in the church. But if you haven't, you've not heard it, you're about to hear it for the first time. If you want to know what your fellowship involves, take your average day and write down the activities that you're involved in. Then out in the margin, write down how many hours a day you spend in that activity. Your fellowship involves the one that has the most hours. Okay, that's a challenge. Okay. And I got to tell you, as this came to me this week, I was like, oh, my toes got sore. Because even though, and don't get me wrong, I do have fellowship with God. I have fellowship with the Son, Jesus. I have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. But I will admit to you this morning, it's not always my top priority. should be. And when I don't put him in my top priority, fellowship has waned. Okay. We need to not do that. This change comes as we seek the face of God. Wanting to get to know him. See, all too often as we're praying, we're focusing on God's hands. We want God to do something for us. Give me this, protect me here, help me make a good grade. You know, all of those things are there, and those are not necessarily bad things to pray. But we need to spend more time seeking God's face, building that relationship with Him. And we build that fellowship with Him. Now, why does this fellowship with the Father bring true, in-depth joy? Like a loving, earthly father loves his children, he wants the best for them. He celebrates things in their life that are going well. He teaches them. He spends time with them. He corrects them when they do wrong. And all of that is so that they will accept the good 
and reject the bad in their life. If having fellowship with your earthly father and mother have positive ends, then certainly a growing, alive, moving, changing fellowship with God the Father will have even better ends for us. In other words, your joy complete. That's what he desires. Second, the fullness of joy comes from a growing fellowship with Jesus Christ. Because of who Jesus is, in addition to the fullness of joy that comes from the fellowship with the Father, having a fellowship with the Son has an additional source of joy that we live in. And that comes from being a believer and a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. We know that the word of life is made manifest to us to glorify the Father and to offer us a gift of eternal, restored relationship with the Father. In other words, it is through the salvation that's provided by Jesus that we can have fellowship with the Father. That then causes us to have fellowship with Jesus as well. Jesus' sacrificial work on the earth brings us joy. As he offered up his life to pay the penalty for our sins, we have joy. When we know that we have asked Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, we confess that we're sinners. We present that to Jesus. Jesus then is our advocate, presents it to the Father, and that gift is eternal life in him. That is joy. We also have the spirit of faith given to us by Jesus. The Holy Spirit, which he promised to send to all who believe, and the result? Joy. It is. Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. If you didn't know that, that's us. Okay, unless you're Jewish, you're Gentile. It's one of two. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In other words, that we will have fellowship through the Holy Spirit. To all of this, we also must remember that Jesus provides us with a new covenant. And that new covenant comes with all of his blessings that are given and secured because of who he is, not because of what I might do. It's because of Jesus. And it's an everlasting eternity. It's an everlasting covenant for all eternity. And then third, the fullness of joy is continuously confirmed by an ongoing and growing fellowship with other believers. Now this morning I know, and the old saying is, I'm probably preaching to the choir. Okay, y'all are here. Okay, while y'all are here, guess what? We're in fellowship. 
We're involved in fellowship right now. Amen? Thank you. We look to one another. And the disciples says, Jesus said to his disciples, and that includes us, we're to love one another. How can we truly love one another if we're not in fellowship with one another? The answer to that is we can't. We have to have that fellowship. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, loving one another is not just a platitude. Okay, It's not just a word that we throw around and don't mean anything by it. The word love, the original Greek word is the word agapeo. And it is not a word that describes a warm, fuzzy feeling that the world talks about. We, we, I say we, I, I love pecan pie. <laughs> okay. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. You know, we can talk a lot about love, of things. But the word that's used here, the word agape, the word does not describe some warm, fuzzy feeling. That word is a verb. It's an action word. And one of my favorite verses, and it's probably the first verse I ever learned in my life, John 3, 16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. See, that verse that Jesus spoke is not talking about a warm, fuzzy feeling. He's talking about an action Because when God uses the word love, he's talking about taking action. What Jesus did, or what God did, was a deterministic movement to send his son. Why? To die on the cross, pay the penalty of our sins, so that we might have a restored relationship with him. Not a warm, fuzzy feeling, an action. Our part, if we're to love one another, we're to be deterministic in our actions of spending time with one another. Not just giving lip service to something. And being in fellowship with one another brings joy. So what does it look like to love one another? Being in fellowship. Well, it means spending time with one another in worship. Good job. Y'all are doing that this morning. We're doing that. We're involved in worship. Okay. Spending time with one another, sharing a meal that we're going to share in just a few minutes. The Lord's Supper. We share a meal with one another. You can share a meal in your, in your home with someone or at a restaurant with someone. That's having fellowship. Spending time with others in the study of the Word. Again, we're doing that this morning. We do that at other times when we come together and study God's Word. We're involved in fellowship when we spend time with others praying. We've done that this morning. You've been involved in fellowship with one another. 
and we spend time encouraging one another. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, being in fellowship with one another demands an active participation with other believers. Not suggested. Commended. It's what God did. We love one another in such a way that people around us in the world sees a difference. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, there has to be something about us that looks different than the rest of the world. That's a testimony to who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is in our lives as we share time with one another in fellowship. They see joy. And the world will see things that doesn't make sense to them. You may have been asked at some point, I've been asked a couple of times in my life, what's different about you? Well, then I get to tell them. It's Jesus. In, in the midst of hardship, I remember there was a, there was a lady at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, um, Rosemary Harper. Some of you may know her um, and have known her in the past. Sweetheart. Her husband was in the hospital over in Dallas and she was walking up and down the hall witnessing to people loving on people and several people asked her how can you do that when your husband's in there with the surgeon and you don't know what's going on she said and so she told him about Jesus see some that people saw a difference in her because of who Jesus is in her life and the fellowship that she had one last action point comes from James, 9, or James 5, verses 19 through 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. See, being in fellowship with one another provides me protection against myself. Because if I take a wrong turn and I get in a ditch, and I may be enjoying being in the ditch, well, it's the responsibility of my brothers and sisters in Christ to come get me out of the ditch and put me back in the middle of the road where I belong. See, that provides a protection for me, for you. And we're called to do that for one another. See, if we're not in fellowship... How are you going to know I'm in the ditch? <laughs> you won't. So we're to be in fellowship with one another so that we can cover each other, watch each other's backs. We're to walk in fellowship so closely that if I get in a ditch spiritually, you're to come and draw me back. That takes love. It's not always an easy thing to do, but it's commanded. It's what we're called to do. We're to seek fellowship with one another. We're to seek fellowship with Jesus Christ in our daily lives. We're to seek fellowship with the Father. 
continuously so that we will be and, and be able to do what Jesus called us to do in Acts 1, the last part of verse 8. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's our application. That's how we apply this truth to our lives. Being in fellowship with the Father, with the Son, the Holy Spirit, and with one another. The result of that, our joy will be complete. Knowing that in this lifetime, the completeness of our joy is being worked out. We're being made complete by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're being made complete. And then in time, our joy will be complete when we're in heaven. When we experience fully that eternal life that Jesus provided for us from the cross. Our joy will be complete. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, as we come before you, <clears throat> we again thank you for your presence here. We thank you for the truth of your word, that your desire for us is that our joy would be complete. It is being completed now. It will be fully complete in eternity. The blessing is, Father, we get to enjoy some of that here, in part. Help us desire that for our lives. Help us desire that for one another. Father, bless our fellowship with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and our fellowship with one another. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.